Welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, God is one. Amen. The gospel passage that we just heard today for the third Sunday of Lent is an interesting passage. It's a snapshot in St. Luke's gospel that uh, shows Jesus casting out a devil and then talking about how Satan's kingdom can't be divided or else it'll fall. And then a woman shouts out, blessed is the womb that bore you. And he says, actually, blessed are those who keep the word of God. This is an interesting gospel pericope or passage because it has these three elements that are like, what? And Jesus is talking about evil spirits wandering around in the desert and stuff. And what is going on in this passage? It's interesting because it doesn't all seem to fit together very intuitively. So how does it fit together? Why do we hear all of this at the same time today on this Sunday? Well, in order to understand what's going on, we have to set the scene a little bit. Now, this is taking place late in Jesus' ministry. In the third year of his ministry, he has already um, gone up the mountain of transfiguration and told his disciples, I have to be given over into the hands of men and killed. And they didn't understand what he was saying. That was from the story last Sunday, that, that um, description of, of Jesus going up onto the mountain of transfiguration. And then this is after the gospel tells us that Jesus sets his face toward Jerusalem. So we know that Jesus is now intentionally heading toward Jerusalem for the last time, the last time, just like we are in Lent, actually. We're headed toward Jerusalem, headed toward Holy Week, entering into the city and walking with Jesus through all that's going to take place then. So this is after that. He is Jesus. We're seeing him talk back to a lot of those accusing him of things more frequently. Jesus used to uh, do something, people would gripe at him, and he would uh, give him a parable or something like that and move on to the next city and continue healing and preaching. But Jesus is speaking back to these um, teachers of the law and lawyers, and he's saying things to them like, you're a brood of vipers. You're an evil and an adulterous generation. And this is making them more and more angry at him. Uh, in fact, at the end of uh, this passage in uh, Matthew's, the, the expanded version in Matthew's parallel gospel, it says that they were trying to get him to say anything that they could catch him in so that they could grab him and, and persecute him. So Jesus is being bold in the way he speaks to these leaders who are looking to destroy him. And finally, in this story, we see that he's in an extremely crowded house. The story says that twice, that he's in a very crowded house. And because he is setting his face toward Jerusalem, he's talking about being handed over to people and killed because he's um, really laying into potentially dangerous men. And he's in this crowded place. His family hears about it and they come to try to get him out of the house. And so someone says to them in Matthew's gospel, we don't hear that in this gospel, but in Matthew's gospel, the same story, someone tells Jesus, hey, your mother and your brothers are outside. And at that mention, that's when someone says, blessed is the womb that bore you. 
So these are all the elements, and that's how they all kind of work together. It helps to know Matthew's version of this story as well. It fills in some of the details. So those elements begin with the exorcism of a man. And this is something that happens in the midst of a crowd of people. And so when Jesus exercises a demon and someone is now able to speak for the first time ever, the crowd gets really excited and they think, could this be who we've been waiting on the whole time? This is the Messiah, that leader who's going to get us all together, overthrow the Romans, rise up Jerusalem and Judah and reunite Israel, and we will be that light to the world and the city on the hill. And it's starting to happen now. But not everyone was excited about that prospect. There were other potential messiahs out there. And even, even with other messiahs out there, some people weren't really looking for a messiah at all because they had sort of their own idea of how things should be going on. And they were happy with uh, the way things were. So now that everyone's excited, the Pharisees challenge Jesus over this exorcism that he just performed. And they challenge him by saying, Maybe your authority actually comes from the devil. That's how you're able to cast out devils. That's when Jesus describes this house of Satan and how if it's divided, it can't stand. What he's implying is actually that the house of Satan is somewhat divided. When he tells that story about the spirits going out and then when they realize that there's a place for them, they gather more spirits, even more evil than them and come back. So there's some sort of sense that there's a unified, um, uh, unified practice among the devils, which is to overthrow the kingdom of God. Not that devils are going to be uh, very loving toward each other. This is a, a unity of just shared purpose. And so Jesus is saying the leader of this shared purpose can't have his purpose divided or else it, it would make no sense. In so many words, Jesus is saying your logic is flawed. That's not what I'm doing. What I'm doing is casting out devils by God's authority. And then he says to them, and if that's the case, guess what? God's authority acting through me means that God is here right now. His kingdom is right on top of you, and you don't even know what you're talking about. And so he describes how Satan's house, Satan's uh, authority the devil, Beelzebub, this was a, a mocking term, um, meaning sort of the Lord of flies that the Jews used for uh, the devil, the Lord of this kingdom of Pooh, basically, is what they're saying. Um, but Jesus is saying, no, this kingdom of Pooh, believe it or not, has a unified cause, and I'm not working with that. In fact, they have, like a strong man, come into the house of Israel, into the hearts of the people, into someone like this man who I just exercised. And they have locked the door, bound everything up, and gathered all the treasure to themselves. And they will hold that strongly unless someone stronger than them comes and binds them up and kicks them out. And he's saying, essentially of himself, that's what I am doing. That's my ministry. I am the stronger man come to kick out these devils who have infested my house, the house of Israel. And so after this ministry of kicking out all the demons, going around and exercising people, preaching the truth, Jesus gives a warning. He says, after this ministry of mine, if the spirit of God isn't maintained in the hearts of his people, demons will come back and it'll be worse than before for this generation. 
It's going to be nasty. So Jesus is saying, I drive away the enemy because I'm the stronger man. And that's what all of the propers of today, the introit, the gradual chant, the tract, it's talking about God freeing us from enemies. This ministry of Jesus is still at work in our lives. It's still at work in the, the, the church of God, in the hearts of his people. Jesus' ministry of kicking out the would-be strong men is not over. He still is the stronger man. And his message, his warning, still applies to us. If we don't keep him there, then we open ourselves up to even worse attacks. If you have been blessed enough to hear the message of Christ and then to reject it, St. Paul says this in epistles, that's worse than not ever having heard it in the first place. He says this especially of leaders. If you dare to try to be a leader among the people of God and you don't live up to your calling, it's going to be even worse for you on judgment day than those who weren't called to be leaders. So when the stronger man comes and frees us, it's our responsibility to keep him there. That's what he's warning Israel about. That's what he's telling these spiritual leaders. But in the middle of this story, when Jesus is saying all this, crowded around by all these people, either looking to potentially hoist him up as the leader of Israel or cut him down as an unwanted leader of Israel. He's being pressed on every side and his family comes to him, his mother and his brothers, and, and someone shouts to him, hey, your family's outside. They, they want a word with you. Basically, they want you to get out of here. And at this, Jesus in Matthew's gospel says, who are my mother and my brothers? It's those who follow with me and do my word. And someone says, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast which you nursed on. And Jesus said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Now, what's going on here? Is Jesus looking to take away um, the prophetic uh, acclamation from the beginning of Luke's own gospel, where Mary says of herself, all generations will call me blessed? Already here, we see that this generation is starting to call her blessed. Our generation calls her blessed. We, rightly in the church, call Mary blessed. But right now, in this context, in this situation, when someone is saying, blessed is the womb that bore you, Jesus is still talking. Jesus is still preaching. He is still trying to get the people to see and understand what is going on here. There's something more important. What Jesus is doing is setting priorities. Now, it's right to say that blessed is the womb that bore Jesus. Absolutely, it is. But we put Mary in the hierarchy of blessing, right? Mary is blessed, but who is more blessed? God, by an infinite amount, all right? When we bless Mary, we are blessing Christ. We're blessing, we're looking to Christ through Mary. That's what she does. She shows the way to Christ. So if people are looking at Christ and they are being tempted to be distracted, to look away to Mary, that's the wrong way to do it. The things aren't in their proper order. So that's what's going on here. Jesus is laser focused on his mission. His face is set toward Jerusalem. So he says, no distractions now. Everything must be in order. God, the mission, and then the saints who show us God. It's like St. Paul saying, follow me as I follow Christ. 
Well, we're still following Christ, aren't we? We're not following St. Paul off somewhere else. He leads us to Christ. Mary shows us Christ and intercedes for us to Christ. Everything is Christ-centered and Christ-focused. And Christ here is focused on one thing, his mission to save us through the cross. So our lesson today from this passage is the same as the crowds that Jesus is trying to teach. To understand Jesus' purpose and mission that we're called to join in with. If Jesus' mission is to go to Jerusalem to give himself up for love and even to die for people, that's our mission. Our mission is to journey where God leads us, to be willing to give ourselves up even to death for the love of our brothers and sisters. Also, Jesus is teaching the crowd priorities, putting first things first and second things second, to put things in order and not to be distracted from what's most important. He also tells them to keep their hearts filled with the stronger man so that there's no opportunity for the other strong men to come back in, the enemies of the stronger man. If we don't keep our hearts filled with Christ, then there's room opening up in our hearts for other things. And that's not acceptable, not in the kingdom of God, not with so much at stake, our very hearts, our lives and eternity. This is important. We need to keep our hearts filled with Christ. And then at the very end, we hear from Jesus. And this is what we need to walk away with today. The way that we keep the strong man in our hearts, the way that we are protected from our enemies, the way that we keep our sights focused on our mission and the way that we keep our hearts prioritizing the love of God first and then all of his creation after that is by keeping his commandments. He says, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. How do we keep the word of God unless we hear it? We have to come to church. We have to read scripture. We have to listen to the wise words of those who have gone before us in the church There are writings from the saints, the fathers and mothers of the church. There are homilies from those who are wise. There's the poetry of scripture. There are these beautiful stories. This is how we hear what God is about. And once we have that soaked into our minds, once we crowd ourselves into wherever we can find Jesus, like that crowd, that's how we hear the word of God. And then having heard it, we apply it. We apply it to our lives, and we keep his commandments. And that is how we are saved from the demons. It's how we journey with Christ through the rest of Lent toward Jerusalem. It's how we are called blessed, like his mother, who herself heard the word of God and kept it. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, God is one. Amen. Talks at Advent. Homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia.